Let me see if I can reposition this. Oh, sorry, I already started it. <laughs> sorry, my man. Welcome to Scorch the Fears, episode 10. We got my man, Vincent Hayes here. He is an excellent agent in the Bay Area. You've done some flips too, right? I still do them. I am and still doing flips right now, and still got a flip going right now. So it's amazing. Um, I'm so happy to have you on here. I'm gonna start. I'm also gonna start it on Instagram. Hold on a second. Should have started on Instagram first, but let's do it. So. Yeah, I'm starting it on Instagram. All right, cool, man. Well, um, it's been a while. I'm glad. I'm glad we get to do this. I'm. I'm thankful you got to come on the podcast. Um. So, so let's start with just the base, most basic of questions. Why? Uh, how'd you get started in real estate? Uh, so I um, have always had an entrepreneurial spirit, and so uh, I've kind of looked at a couple of different endeavors. And um, one of the things that probably excited me the most was real estate. And I, it, it, I think timing was probably the, the most interesting piece of all this because uh, I just finished business school, um, just uh, started connecting with friends that were doing real estate investment. And next thing you know, um, I'm, I'm in it and, and running. So it's uh, it's been a very fun and interesting ride, uh, and um, you started as an agent, though, right? No, uh, no, you I started I, as an I investor. Started as an investor. I didn't get. Oh, okay. uh, I didn't become an agent until probably three years ago. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah okay. I, I so, how did you did you start with flips? In two thousand two, is that what you said? Two thousand thirteen. Two thousand thirteen. Yeah, so that was my first one. Uh, I've been lucky enough to do everything in Oakland, um, and it's been uh, pretty interesting and pretty fun. Um, so nice. I'm excited about it. Love it. Okay, I didn't even know that. So you did your first flip in 2013, and then like, what does your business look like? Has it been mainly just you? Do you have some employees or? So it's uh, it's it's always kind of ebbed and flowed. So I, I started out uh, kind of uh, recruiting a crew of guys that, that did most of the work for me on pretty much all of my flips. And then um, I, I got this brave idea after probably my fourth one to do a five unit condo development. And so that mm-hmm. required a pretty heavy lift in terms of taking an old building and demoing probably 95% of it, and then basically uh, making five new kind of almost new construction. So um, it's been a been an interesting ride. Okay, cool. Cool, Leo. And then so how many do you usually do a year? How much do you like doing a year? Probably two a year. Um, Two a year. Probably about my average. I, uh, the, the, the condo development took four years to do, uh, there was so much planning and, and everything involved with that. So from 16 until 19, um, I was like, it was, it was chaotic. Uh, but for the regular, the traditional flips that I I would do on single family homes, uh, usually anywhere between, uh, 90 to 120 days was usually my timeline. I would take a little break in between and then just keep rolling. 
Okay. Love it. So, all right. I just wanted to get a little bit of background for people who didn't know you like that. You're a flipper and just one or two is good. I mean, honestly, one or two in the Bay Area, you can just off of one or two, you could literally like have an amazing life. Like That's over true. That, That's very true. Over you know, the you, whole year. If you find the right ones and, and you time the market right, yeah. I mean, one or two a year can, can really do wonders for you. I love it. And then, so why did you become an agent then? Uh, so for me, I, I looked at it in terms of like, how much more can I cut costs? Right. And so, um, I looked at acquisition and I was like, yo, not only can I buy the property myself, but I get what I call a rebate for mm. buying my own uh, investment opportunity. And then on the the opposite side, uh, when I'm selling, I, I look at it as a way to be able to further in incentivize the buying side agent. Uh, like I usually give like 3% commission and then knowing that I'm going to get the rest. So um, it just, it, it, it seemed like a no brainer. Love it. I love it. Okay. Awesome. So it was just meant more for like the flipping business. That's pretty yeah, cool. That was, it. that was pretty much it. And I help out people whenever I can in terms of uh, other investors. I'm not really a traditional like buyer seller agent. Like I don't, I don't have a book of clients and, and, and do all of that. It's just more for me. And, and then whoever I know in my network that needs a little assistance in acquiring property. I love it. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I really like one of the things that I really like about you, Vincent, is and I now I know why is because you started as an investor. So you got it. Wow. A lot of agents, sometimes they like are a little bit wary of people who are wholesaling like me. I mean, for people watching like Vincent and I did a whole YouTube video on his uh, on his channel about um like how to wholesale in California, because that's a question that he gets a lot. Yeah. One of my questions you basically already answered. And I think, I mean, I'm going to ask it anyways, uh, just because, but I think I know the answer now is like, what made you, because we've done deals and you've been representing me and then you knew I would be the one wholesaling it. What kind of made you feel comfortable doing that versus just wanting a normal fix and flipper? Uh, so it's your process. I think uh, you are probably and I've talked to a few different uh, wholesalers. And I think the biggest thing uh, that made me feel comfortable about you is that you have a, a well-defined process in terms of how you look at uh, not only securing uh, a deal, but then how you approach getting that deal in front of a buyer that is going to be able to close it out for you. And many times, and, and this is like the biggest struggle that I think many agents have with, with wholesalers is that the, the whole run to get an, get an offer accepted. And then at that point, you have no idea what to do next. And right. a lot of times what you run into is someone that has no idea what the next step would be uh, or haven't like they haven't put, a, put together a real plan in terms of how to, to get in and out of the deal. And so right. when I, I had my first interaction with you, I was like, aha, this is a guy. This is a real Love guy. It. And so like I'm I'm very cautious about um, wholesalers um, that that don't walk in kind of with the understanding that they need to to be able to execute. So it's right. it's really tough to to 
to, uh, and, and I hate to say this because I also do mentorship for wholesalers, but it's really tough to, to say, you know, hey, I'll be comfortable uh, representing you when you know that somebody doesn't have it all together or have it all. all right. And I get that too. I mean, it's all about, it's all about being professional, right? And like being like, look, here's what, here's like, here's my process. Like, this is what we're going to do. Here's why I think it's a good deal and why I think sp specifically for wholesaling would make sense. Like, for instance, we've got that deal. We can talk about it more after the podcast. We've got that deal where a bank is having real trouble, um, getting rid of a property because it has squatters and mm -hmm. that's what i feel like the most value a wholesaler can provide to agents is when there's a problem that's really hard to solve because i either do know how to solve it or know somebody who knows how to solve it um, or will just take it um, depending on the price so that's, I feel like how we add the most value to you. And I like the, I like how that makes sense where it's like, okay, he's got his process. He obviously knows what he's doing just based on the way he's talking and like yeah. understands like this is what it's supposed to be. So that's good for everyone to know. Like if you are wholesaling to like start, start by having the process down and then, um, and make sure you have your numbers right. You should hit somebody up who's doing deals in your market and then having them give you a buy number. I feel like that's always the right way to start. Um, is somebody who's actually doing deals, knows what's going on. Uh, don't do what like Vincent was talking about where it's, I'm just gonna get a contract and then pray for the best and try to make a hundred K when I have no idea how much this thing is worth, <laughs> right? Oh my God. It's, it's so hilarious because I mean, I think the, the the most interesting thing is because most people like when they interact with me and when I'm wearing my agent hat, they don't realize that I'm an investor. And so right. the moment they start talking and then the, the 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 sense that I get is that they don't really have the real understanding they need to be able to execute. I'm like, oh boy, this is right. And so, um, you know, I typically try to help level set uh, their expectations, but in in general, I think most people are so thirsty for their deal, and, and many times it's going to be their first deal, that they right. believe that the, the the formula they have, which is really no formula, is, is the right. right one. And so it's tough to get someone to understand that, hey, in, in all of this, like what I think is most important, and you even said this during the interview uh, that we did on my YouTube channel, is that you have to be someone that is a problem solver in real estate. Right. It's not so much about you and your profit and what you can get out of the deal. It's about, hey, here's a seller. Uh, maybe they do or don't have a problem. Hey, here's a buyer. They are looking for an opportunity. How many are you connect, connected to? And then in the middle of that is where your profit lies. And as long as you know how exactly. to navigate that piece, I think, like that's what makes you real as a wholesaler. What makes you a real specialist in real estate? Yeah, hundred percent agree. And like that's that is why I started because like, I think everything. And we also talked about this in your in your interview is like how everything starts with mindset, right? That's like the base. That's like a foundation of a house. That's mm -hmm. where it all starts. It's why I started this podcast was really to start um, getting through the fears that people have. And like the mindset barriers that are keeping them back 
from achieving what they want to achieve, right? So Mm -hmm. when you were starting, like when you were just starting out, or maybe when you were newer, it doesn't necessarily be or has to be exactly when you're starting out. What were what were some fears that you were having? Or what do you think were some fears that might have been holding you back right when you were just starting? Um, I think uh, failure is a big one. Um, mm-hmm. Losing money, another. Um, and and the, the biggest thing, I think, for me, my why for why I do this is my family. And so, like, if I'm not able to execute and deliver and then that, you know, ends up having a positive effect on my family, then that that kind of is is a kind of a deflating uh, situation for you. And so that's why, like everything that I do, I have to be very thoughtful. Um, And, you know, there are a ton of hiccups and lessons that you'll learn along the Mm -hmm. way, no matter what you do in real estate. I think you're always going to have something that happens that you didn't expect, but you just have to be able to game plan for what those issues will be and then learn from them so that you you don't get in the same situation again yeah 100 percent. i that is definitely the way you do it so those fears that you were having fear of losing money fear of you know um, failure all of those so how do you overcome those how do you specifically like what do you do to push through them due diligence like you Mm -hmm. I, i feel like the way to right mitigate on. a lot of those issues is just knowing that you know the deal inside and out. And uh, I think for me, it was, uh, it took a while. I feel like it took me probably to my, probably it was my third deal that I, I feel like I really started to kind of get my full understanding of real estate. And it it, it started to stick because in, in the beginning, like you, you have these great ideas you maybe have watched a, a fix and flip show on TV and you think, HGTV. oh, you know, that's, that's, I can do that. No, you can't. And <laughs> like you, you really have to be a student of real estate. You really have to love real estate in order to, to make this work. Because I think for, for most people, when you walk into it thinking, oh, I'm just going to get a general contractor and I'm just going to throw some money at it and it's all going to work out. That right. can so wrong and even even with wholesaling i mean just thinking that because you see a house that's dilapidated or distressed and it's it's ripe for you i mean you don't you don't fully understand what's going on with the seller and 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 you also need to fully understand what's going on with the house because right only could it be a situation where the house is not a good fit for anybody the seller situation could not be a good fit for a wholesale deal and so yeah that you you spend a lot of time and effort on nothing. Right. No, that's 100% true. I mean, it's something that um, I definitely do sometimes where, like, if there's a deal, I don't do as much direct to seller anymore. But when I did, I would, there'd be just some times where I'm like, this person just would be better served by a realtor than me. I'll take like a a small referral fee and just throw it to an agent. Right. And like, I think it's really important to, keep the mindset that we're talking about it like it's not about you it's about them it's about the seller like you're supposed to be helping the seller that's where your profit is that's how you get paid is by giving that value um so i like that so due diligence how how okay so for somebody who's just starting out let's go with a flipper because you're mainly a flipper what 
how do you learn how to do due diligence or what is due diligence to you in, 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 uh, in flipping? So for me, I think it starts by um, kind of being involved with the neighborhoods that you think you can possibly invest in. And okay. so for me, like, and I'll give you some concrete examples. For me, I was a huge fan of the Maxwell Park neighborhood in Oakland. And okay. so like I would drive through Maxwell Park probably two, three times a day. And mm -hmm. it's really just to get appreciation for like, what are the houses that sell the most? Which ones sell for above ask? Which ones have multiple bidders? Which ones have probably the easiest uh, remodel options? And, and, and it's just really just kind of digging in and knowing like which are the right targets to go after. And then mm. from there, it's, it's about, all right, so let's, let's try to put together some understanding around what it's going to take to get to the finish line. So it's like, knowing like what what things cost and when it comes to material uh, labor um uh, permitting all of those things plans and so before you you jump in you you want to kind of get a gauge or a feel for like what's it going to take to be able to be successful on one deal and when you can wrap your mind around that then you can start to create a model that that's easily repeated and and works for you as long as you kind of stay in your in your niche um, okay. a certain type of house or a certain type of flip or certain type of neighborhood i mean once you get to the point where you do two or three deals in that neighborhood on those types of houses you 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 get a feel for like what you can do in other neighborhoods gotcha so so okay so i'm just curious so what you would do is like what hit up a contractor and just look on zillow or like what what are some what are the steps no. that you recommend it's, it's interesting i would actually drive by projects that were actually going on and and i would notice things like for me like is the job site clean um you know what are the guys doing are, is everybody kind of moving uh, as a cohesive unit or do you have a couple guys over here just standing around doing nothing while one guy works his tail off uh, and so then you you start to get a feel for, hey, these guys might be the right guys. And then also it's just referrals. Like sometimes it would just I would just run into guys that were either uh, at Home Depot and mm -hmm. they and, you know, they would have their T-shirts on for whatever company they work for and just ask them like, hey, do you know a group of guys that can do some things that can be mm -hmm. pretty good, but cost effective? And so. It's really just kind of trial and error and, and just hoping that you find the right guys. And, and not, all, not all the guys that you run into that you do business with are going to be the ones that you stick with. Um, and, and that's one thing that I think many people don't really discuss is that, like, sometimes things don't go well in terms of personalities, in terms of, like, deliverables, and you end up having to find other people. So it's always great to have for every everything that you need to have done. So for like the trades, electrical, plumbing, mechanical, like have two or three folks that you can go to uh, because you never know what their life situations are like. Uh, you never know like how much, how, how overburdened they are with work and all those other things. So it's always great to have a few extra people that you can lean on. But gotcha. just trial and error, just finding those folks. Gotcha. So I'm gonna bring this back to something that you said earlier, because I this is what I do in the interviews is I kind of like pick up on something and kind of think about it in the back of my mind of how I want to ask a question about it. So you were talking about earlier about your why and how it's your family. How did you determine like, obviously, I feel like that one 
might be kind of instinctual, especially because you, you know, you're a dad and you have a wife and like, yeah. naturally that's just what it means when you're a father. But I'm curious if you, if it was anything more than instinct, like how did you know your why is it, was there any other way than that? Or is there like any other methods you might recommend of somebody who might be starting and then wants to know what their why is? Because I feel like almost everything goes back to that. Because when you're struggling, that's what you have is your why. Yeah. So I guess to sim simplify my question, how does one figure out what their why is? Um, I, I think it, uh, so for me, there has to be a why that's strong enough to keep you motivated when things aren't going well. And so for me, that's always going to be my family. The other one, uh, the, the why that I never mention is hubris. Like I, I, I always <laughs> feel like I'm the guy that can do whatever and get it done. And sometimes it. it doesn't look pretty, but like I can get it done. And so that's necessary sometimes. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, like if you look at some of the guys that are, that are really doing like, like, amazing things in real estate like those guys when they walk into a room they command the room there's that level right. of hubris and and self-confidence about who they are and what they can do and their level of understanding that like you just can't you can't fake that and so like you you've got to want it and, and like i want it like I, I want it all the time right i love that okay cool and then so if there was anything that you could say to yourself when you were just starting well first off let's do this what what was your first entrepreneurial like venture was it real estate or was it something before that oh no it's so funny uh, my wife was mentioning this this morning um uh because i'm kind of having I've, I've been in some turmoil over my latest project uh and so like she uh she la she laughed and she said remember when you were trying to do merchant services and how terribly wrong that went. And so for anybody right. that doesn't understand, merchant services is where you sell credit card transaction uh, processing to like small businesses. And so like I had this grand idea that I was I was right out of business school. I was like, yo, I'm going to create a business was this? that around merchant services. And that's right about the time that Square came out. And you want to talk about being what crushed. year was this? I'm curious. This is in this is like 13, 2013, this is, or okay. 2012, 13. And so Square okay. hit the scene and, and just really started killing it because it was so stupid simple. And like I would walk in and I would talk to a small business owner, and and one, they they hate people that sell merchant services, first of all. <laughs> and two, like when there's something that's so simple that you can put on your phone and you have a little adapter and, and you're able to swipe and get your money in, in hours, like right. what I was selling didn't even seem like it was even worth the time even listening to. So you're talking about it. like it's getting crushed, like walking into people's uh, place, in, into someone's place of business, spending 10 minutes and they're like, all right, got to go. Got business to take care of. So right. Like, like whew, that's tough. yeah. Yeah, it, that is definitely tough. How do you, I mean, that's a lot of rejection. How did you, how do you get over rejection? You know what? It's, it's funny. Uh, so like when I do uh, my mentorship sessions with, with uh, young investors or up and coming investors, I always tell them that, that a lot of this stuff, you have to kind of liken it to dating. So mm -hmm. like I, I look back when I was a young man and I was single, like you were never, like I was never able to get every girl that I was attracted to. Nobody right? can. Nobody yeah, can exactly. get every single so, girl. 
And so like the, the thing for me is like in business, that's going to be your, the same experience that you're going to have. You might get probably 10%, you might get 5%, but like, you really got to be okay with hearing no, no has to be so, so you have to be so comfortable with that, that like literally anytime you hear no, you're like, oh, okay. So that just means I need to approach it a different way. Right. that's that's kind of the approach that I have now is just like, oh, you said no. Does no mean not today? No, maybe later on. Uh, and, right. and just, or no means no, and you just move on. And so, uh, but it, at any rate, like, no is not a thing that bothers me anymore. Right. So no, like I got you're, you. You're new, like, that's the thing. You, you've got you to have thick, thick skin and just be ready for rejection because it's going to come, especially with wholesaling. Like your every yeah. offer you submit doesn't get accepted. So that's a no. Yeah. I mean, flipping too. anything entrepreneurial, anything sales wise, you're just going to get rejected by somebody at some point. And it's yeah, it's reminding. I feel like what I think about it, it's really just reminding yourself that it's not personal. No, it's never personal. Just in the same way it's dating. It's not personal. It's just mm-hmm. they don't want the product or service or whatever it is. Um, it could be it could be be a lot of things yeah so like you just have to make sure that like when you when you go through that experience like just take from it what you can that will help you for the next experience right 100 percent. so yeah where i was going with that then i got sidetracked was when you were just starting in real estate or entrepreneurship like if you could talk to your younger self what would you say now now that you have all of this experience Ooh, and I knew this question was coming. I, I thought I was <laughs> prepared for it, but I think <laughs> no um, the biggest thing that I would tell my younger self is probably going to be uh, find somebody else that's doing exactly what you're doing mm-hmm. and, and shadow them and uh, uh, get them to see if they'll mentor you. Do what so you true. can to, because I mean, I think the biggest thing that you have to understand with like, any industry, but especially real estate, is mm-hmm. you need those 10,000 hours in order to be an expert. And so uh, a lot of time, uh, you're not going to get to 10,000 hours if you aren't doing deals. So if you follow right. somebody else that's doing deals and doing doing them regularly, I mean, you can kind of ride their coattails to get some of the hours you need, some of the understanding you need, some of the coaching you need. Because, I mean, that's, right. a, that's a huge thing is 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 being able to find someone that has some level of success and get them to share with you the ways that they've made it work yeah so did you not have any mentor when you were starting i did so when i started i had uh, a couple of friends that were in boston that i mean they were they were doing all kinds of stuff from flips to Mm -hmm. uh rentals uh, all kinds of things. And so like when I would go visit them in Boston, I would ride around and kind of get some understanding of why they do it, how they do it, what's working, what's not. And like, that was a good base for me, but then I had to come back home and try to kind of regurgitate that in, in my mind and then, then try to figure out how I can apply it here in Oakland. Cause I, I feel like, uh, the biggest thing about doing any, doing deals in California is, this is kind of I liken this to um, like Harvard Business School. Like if you can make yeah. it in California doing deals, you can go anywhere. I mean, it's yeah, easy. 
and maybe New York may be a, a, an outlier, but like if you can make it in California, you make it anywhere. anywhere. So true. It's so true because like, I mean, it's re it's extra hard to do it here, but what's cool about here is once you get it, you get a big fat check. Oh. That's the cool part. <laughs> Cause like I talked to people in Ohio or something and they're like, man, for, you know, I mean, you make like hundred K off most flips in the Bay area and for them, that's like 10 rehabs, which is just right. way more work. Oh yeah. Right? So mean, it's got some serious volume to hit numbers that you would do on one deal in California. Right. Like that can be, I mean, that can be draining, man. I mean, you, you gotta have a serious pipeline. You gotta have, I mean, it, it's, I, I couldn't imagine. I'm sure though, that if I, if I had to, like if somebody dropped me in the middle of Cincinnati, Ohio, I could make it work. Um, right. I know that for sure. But I mean, the, the, the amount of work that you have to do is still the same. The cost may be different, but like just to go through that grind to get nowhere near what you get in California would be, it, it would be a reality. It would be a shock, a huge shock. Yeah, hundred percent. Gotcha there. So okay, so I want to understand. You had friends in Boston, you said, right? Mm -hmm. So the so how how was it working? So like you were kind of getting mentored by somebody in Boston. What was it? Did you guys have calls or like what? Like, what were they teaching you? How did they do it virtually? Like, tell me a little bit more about that. So when when I would go there, like uh, one of my good friends, he would he had deals going all the time. So he would have in, in Boston, what's really popular are, are what they call three family houses. So it's like a triplex, but it's stacked. And so mm -hmm. um, the, if you can secure one of those, renovate all three units, you have a great opportunity, whether it's a rental or a flip or you can condo all three units. I mean, the possibilities are endless. And so like right. just seeing their process or his process and how he was able to do that, like it, it was amazing. And so I would just go there and it was quite, it was basically an immersion experience. And so we would go there and my wife and I, because that, those were her really good friends, we would go there and probably stay a week. And so every day I would wake up as soon as he's ready to go, I'm in the truck. We're riding around, we're going to Home Depot, we're going and doing all kinds of stuff. So wait, were you in Boston? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh, you so were we, living in Boston, not so California. No, no, we, we would go for visits, and so we oh, would go visits. For, okay, gotcha. Regularly, because okay, I was trying we, to understand. At that time, we were living. Uh, we were. We it was right before we moved to California. Uh, we were living in Cincinnati, and so we we often found that on the weekends we would just like leave Cincinnati and go somewhere else. And Boston was our primary destination, and so when we would go and stay there, like I, it was. Full on, I would, I would, it was so funny. I would tell, I would tell my guy, I was like, teacher, teach me. And so like, right. Mr. Professor, I would call, I would give him all kinds of names and we would laugh <laughs> about it. But I mean, it was probably the most helpful thing um, in anything that I've done in terms of real estate, that in terms of just seeing the process, seeing the, the, the interactions with, with your uh, subs and your general contractors, all that, it was, it, it's it's what everybody should probably shoot for, even if you're wholesaling, just because I mean, I, oh, I, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I would not be where I am today without mentors. Yeah. I got mentored immediately. I think even for wholesalers, like not only just the, the mentorship of, of another from another wholesaler, but actually going and looking at somebody's flip uh, and how that process works, because what you're ideally trying to do when you're wholesaling is create an opportunity, say, for a flipper. And so right. if you understand the process, if you're able to kind of evaluate a property and 
and give them some kind of understanding of like, hey, if you if you buy this property for me, this is probably what you're going to need to spend in terms of renovation budget. Like this is what your ARV is going to look like. If you're able to, to give a buyer those kinds of uh, deal points and it, it makes your job easier and you can only really get that experience by going and watching somebody. 100%. I mean, that's literally like people forget that you're also problem solving for a buyer too, right? Like you're trying to get them more deals and you need to be able to convince them of that. I I will argue with a buyer about comps. I, I will be like, no, look at these comps. I think you're wrong. I will, I will tell, I know a few contractors, even if they like have none of them. And I think they're pretty good. I've gotten referrals from them. I'm starting to do a flip, but you probably don't know this. I'm starting to do a flip with some partners just to start seeing the process and like see nice. how that goes, which is cool. And it's, and it's fun. And then I learn a lot from it, even if I'm maybe not directly managing it, at least I'm watching and taking notes as the process is going on. So mm. I like it. I'm curious though. My question was because you did get a mentor. So yes. maybe I'm going to switch the question a little bit. If you could tell yourself when you were starting something that what what would you tell yourself when you were starting that you wish you had done that you didn't do? That's more what I'm trying to get at because you did get a mentor. So think about well, something that the, mentor, the mentorship piece was was uh, was was an accident. Like it it just okay. I don't even think I didn't even set out for. Um, I didn't even set out to get a mentor. I, I just thought that it, there was one day when he was getting ready to leave and he was like, I'm going to check on my projects. I was like, oh, I'll come with you. And so nice. that's how that part happened. But if, if I were going to tell myself something um, about um, kind of how to, uh, let's see, I think, I think there are two things. One, as long as you do your homework, it's all going to work out. That's one thing. Mm. Um, I think the other thing for me, um, when I think about it, is um, don't be too aggressive in terms of, of what you are, are trying to do with a deal. Um, I think for me, uh, a lot of times I would go into a deal and I'd have ultra aggressive timelines, ultra aggressive budgets. I'd never hit one of them. And so I think for me now, if I if I were going to tell my younger self something, uh, one, it would just be uh, add in some cushion, add in, add in some extra time for the stuff you can't factor in into your, right. your performa, into your due diligence. I mean, you never know if like you're doing a foundation in the rainy season, how that's going to impact you in getting the work done. So, I mean, like really just kind of slow down a bit, be able to appreciate the moment and, and really don't be so aggressive. I think, right. I think that's the big thing. I'm going to take a quick, hold on a second. Everybody who's on Instagram, you guys should go to the YouTube channel. You're actually going to be able to see Vincent instead of just hearing him. It's just look up my name, Jonah Corchin on the YouTube, you'll get to the channel and you'll see this live or just, or just stay on Instagram and see me not looking at you. It's up to you, but I'm just saying that's where you're going to see a way better version of this. Um, so, okay. So how, I know you're pretty big on mindset. I remember we've talked about it before and I think we talked about it when you did, when we did our interview. Yeah. Um, so 
with mindset, how do you, do you have any like morning rituals or how do you, how do you try to start off the day so that you're in that mindset? Uh, for a very long time, I would start my day just by doing research and okay. uh, whatever, whatever you, you do in terms of doing research on the market, do that every morning. Uh, just because you, you know, what's out there, you, I mean, new deals pop up on the market all the time. Uh, and so just always knowing what's going on in neighborhoods that you're interested in. I think that's probably the biggest thing that, that can help you with your mindset because it starts the day with, Oh, I've just learned something new. Oh, I just found two or three properties that could be deals. And, and so, you, so taking out of real estate, cause I kind of want to also, I want this to be okay. useful for people, not necessarily in real estate. Okay. You just mean do the thing, right? Do the thing. Constantly <laughs> put some effort into whatever it is that you are passionate about. Okay. Always try to focus on being a, a better version of yourself every day. Right. And I think the, the big thing for me is like, I think it's uh, Matthew McConaughey that said it, and I think it was on an award show or something like that, that he was looking to try and be better than his self that uh, five years from now. Like I'm always trying to be better than what I think I'll be five years from now. Okay. And so, it, and it takes steps to do that. So like, you've got to, like, I've got to be better at speaking. Like I'm in, I'm a huge introvert. And so like, you would never know that today, but like, my wife yeah, would always no rag on me about how, like, when we first <laughs> met, I would never say anything. And so gotcha. now she says I never shut up. <laughs> I like it. How'd you change that? How? Because that's a huge thing, I feel like, especially for a lot of people watching who are introverts. How do you become more um, extroverted and friendly and willing to talk to other people? Uh, it takes practice. I think the, the biggest thing is that you have to put yourself in situations where you have no choice other than to interact with people. Um, like when I Give first got example. into business school, like one of the things that I did my very first semester um, was I would go to every event and I would have my name tag on and they give you business cards when you start school. So then I would just hand out business cards and just constantly whatever I could think of to talk about, however I could engage people, I would just use that as practice. And I tell, like when I do mentorship training uh, with wholesalers, I tell them all the time, go to meetups, go talk to people, uh, go, go ask questions, because it's just that, it, especially if you just ask questions of people, like it, 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 it makes them feel good about you being inquisitive about who they are and their experiences but it actually makes you comfortable with talking to people. And so right. you don't have to do all the talking, but if you just ask a few questions about, uh, about someone or their experiences and all of that, it kind of gets you out of uh, being so hesitant to communicate. Mm. And then also they reciprocate. And so after they talk about themselves, they'll ask you. And so then you just have to be okay with being able to respond. And, in artic and the other thing is is learning how to respond in, a, in an articulate way so that you, you're not stuttering and, and all of that because, like, you, you want to hold someone's attention. And, and so, how did you get over that? Was it literally just, practice. like, trying and practice. did you, like, like, practice? Did you always just go to the meetups and practice or was it ever any, like, training or anything? I'm just curious. No, I, I tried Toastmasters once and I never mm -hmm. could make it through. I, it was too much work. 
But I felt like if, if you just go and put yourself in situations uh, with other people and, and find two, three, four folks uh, in whatever event you're going through, uh, going to, and, and just try to find ways to communicate and connect with them, uh, you'll, you'll get enough practice and it'll come second nature to you. Gotcha. Gotcha. Cool. Any other advice? Because I feel like this is a topic I haven't talked about yet for introverts who are trying to get into business. Because um, I feel like that's a common like fear for people who are introverts. I'm naturally extroverted, so this wasn't an issue for me. But oh, yeah. I know a lot of people who are introverts, a lot of times they think like, oh, I can't, you know, I can't sell. I don't want to do that. I'm like, you know, I don't even yeah, really yeah, like yeah, talking yeah. to people. Yeah, if you're in business, you're always selling, right? Always. And so, like, if and the best know, way to do it is just do it, like just Nike, just do it. Uh, no, you need practice, I think, uh, because there there comes a time when you have to, uh, if you if you think about like the elevator pitch um, that people tell you to have, like your thirty second spiel about who you are and what you do or, or why you matter. Um, right, practicing having one of those is is a good start. But right. it, you also really need to, to just be comfortable with. And I think it's 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 really more about being comfortable with failing, because sometimes you're going to have conversations and they're going to be terrible conversations. Right. Walk away and say, like, why did I say that? And so just don't beat yourself up for it. Just make right. sure that like, hey, I won't do that again. I won't go down that bunny trail. Uh, just make sure that you you have a very kind of succinct way of talking about whatever they ask you. And most times it's going to be more about either who you are or what you do. And so if you can just nail down a few talking points about who you are and what you do, you'll be okay. I love it. Okay, cool. So, all right. What else do I have for you? So what is your goal with your business? Like what is, what is the overall goal? Where, where is it where you're exactly where you want it? Are you already there? Are you just really happy doing one or two flips and then just keep doing that? Or are you trying to grow it or? No, no, I'm, I'm actually, so I'm, I'm really intrigued with a lot of things right now. Uh, uh, cryptocurrency, cryptocurrency and blockchain. uh, Oh, okay. So you're trying to spread out into a bunch of different things. Uh, no. So I'm actually trying to marry the two real estate and, and blockchain. And so like, I'm really wow. interested in how we can bring virtual currency to real world assets and, and make the two work. Uh, like one of the things that's happened today that I'm really intrigued by is uh, there's a startup called Proppy here in the Bay Area, and they had an auction today for uh, the first property that's ever uh, been uh, sold uh, through the purchase of an NFT. And mm. so like that is really intriguing to me because like one how of the does things- that work? I mean, I, I think I know how it works because I keep up with this stuff. But for the audience, like so and, and like I'll just go through the basics. NFT means non-fungible token. Correct. It's basically uh, like a verified there's only one of these electronic token so how does it work in real estate and so basically uh what crappie was able to do is they uh basically transferred ownership from an individual to an entity which they then created an nft uh, non-fungible token 
to have ownership of the entity, which then had ownership of the underlying asset, which is the house. So the NFT was for the LLC or the corporation or whatever yes. it was. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. And so then with, with the auction, basically you, um, you connect your wallet, you're able to bid. If your bid's the winner, then you take ownership of the NFT, and which means you take ownership of the underlying LLC and asset that the LLC owns. So then you are now the proud owner of a house in Tampa, Florida. And so yeah. all done through cryptocurrency, all done in matter in a matter of minutes uh, once the auction closes. Uh, so like that, that's intriguing. And I'm like, I, I want to know how we can take real estate investment and then marry that with uh, cryptocurrency or NFTs or blockchain, all of that. I think like one of the things that I've been uh, hammering on uh, one of my favorite escrow agents is why can't you take crypto, like take somebody's Bitcoin and use that as uh, the currency that, that is used to transact on real estate uh, uh, property. And so a lot of the issues were around the, the value of the token or a coin at the time of close of escrow. Like, right, I can change, that's the yeah. issue with Bitcoin. It's yeah. like, I could, I could get into contract last month and then it goes down $20,000 or whatever. Right. And then exactly. like, I've just, I've just, I'm going to sell nothing, my house for way less than I thought. Yeah. And so, uh, I think, uh, that is the, the major hurdle, but then the other pieces is, uh, title companies, I feel like don't want to be caught in the middle of something like that, because I think at some point there, the, the coin or the currency has to be converted into, uh, us dollars. And so like they don't want to be caught holding the bag where somebody's short or anything like that, having to go right. back and, and get more money. But I think there's, I think there are real opportunities in order to make this work. Uh, and I, I think that whoever can, can solve this equation and, and make it work for all parties involved, title companies, county recorders, buyers, sellers, agents, all of that. I think that's who wins. So what are you, are you trying to be, are you going to be the guy or are you trying to, how are you trying to take advantage of it? Still working on it right now. Still working on it. I, I, I feel like there are some opportunities there. I think the, the biggest challenge for us is just the, that uh, our, our government is slow to kind of wrap their minds around uh, how virtual currency can work with real world assets. Right. And that for them, the biggest piece of it is how do they get their cut of the, of the pie? Right. Because that's always what they want. The government always wants a cut of it. Of course. And so, like, I think once once they figure that piece out, I think that'll open the floodgates and everybody will come running through uh, and, and figure out different ways to to make that, that those two worlds collide and work. Uh, but I think there's still a lot of work to be done on a legislative end of this to to make it possible for this to all be easy. Yeah, I'm curious. This is one I learned from somebody else, a potential merging of the blockchain and real estate is it's very similar to what you were talking about earlier where they sold the llc that way mm -hmm. but i think it has the potential to just run title companies out of business eventually because i mean you could in theory just have i mean the blockchain one of the cool things about it is it tracks all the transactions behind it yep. so you could just be like okay well i can tell 
um you know like i don't know i'm not a super tech guy but if i'm assuming there's probably a way to be like okay we're now going to attach um you know so like the, a mortgage to a part of the blockchain maybe i don't know but like to me that seems like a logical way where eventually you could have it where i'm in ownership of this this is a electronic thing that proves that i'm the owner of this house right. and then it, um and i can sell my house on my phone or something like that or through like cryptocurrency and then i have way more control over it there's obviously some issues but i feel like that would be a really cool way to do it because then you wouldn't even need title companies or escrow companies that's and it i mean the the biggest issue is just chain of title and so mm -hmm. like you have to be able to to know for a fact that when you give your your currency your money to someone for a piece of property that like it's going to be yours and that there's right. nobody else that has a claim on it and so right. like i think that's where blockchain could solve a lot of issues and I, I don't want to say get rid of title companies, but it, it would get rid of the need for like title reports and all of that stuff because it's all stored on blockchain. It's it's and, and there's no disputing it. So like I think right. there could be like a huge opportunity. I think I think honestly it could make uh, county recorder. I could, it could make a whole lot of of entities that are in uh, real estate transactions jobs much simpler. And, you know, yeah, there's a lot of value that it could add. I love that. Yeah, no, I, I'm excited for that stuff, too, that I, I, I'm curious how long it will take. Something I've noticed with real estate is it's very not techie. Like it, I feel like this industry takes a long time to adapt to these things in comparison to other industries. Do you, it's, you were shaking your head. Do you not agree? Oh, yeah. No, it's the same thing. That's the same thing I've been saying for, for years. Like the real estate industry is, is probably a it's like a big behemoth. I, I liken it to yeah. 747. You can't make right. it do a hairpin turn. Like yeah. the real estate industry is not going to move that fast. Right. And so like, I think it's probably going to take about five to 10 years before we get to like some serious adoption rate uh, where the two of those worlds merge. I think, uh, mm. I guess my hope is that the, the thing that happened today with property and then how things work with the metaverse. Is that literally today? That was literally today. The auction wow, okay. started this morning and finished like around two. And okay. I think uh I think it sold for I think they had it listed for a little over six and it sold for like six fifty. I think that mm. was I can't remember how many uh Ethereum coins that was for. Uh but yeah, it it like you can go on Twitter right now and you can probably find where trending. Every, yeah, it's all you got to do is search on Proppy and you'll find everything you want to know about what happened today. I love it. That's super interesting. So, okay. So in your business today, what is your biggest struggle? What's your biggest hurdle for what you want to achieve? I think for me right now, um, it's probably capital. I okay. think um, the the struggle that I'm having with right now is because of inflation. Like everything is so much more expensive, and, right. and so uh, you you've got to have way more capital than what you typically would require to, to do a flip, um, even to buy a house. I think um, everything is just so much more expensive. But the beauty is, is that when you sell it, you you're going to get make a value. 
yeah, that, that you, you, you think you should because of where the market is. Uh, but it's just right. getting through, getting in and getting out. And so capital is a huge deal. But I think um, right now um, I'm in a good place. I think the deal I have right now should be a pretty, pretty good one. Uh, and so hopefully capital issues will go away very soon. Love it. I'm going to, I'll put you on to this challenge that I did that I think really is cool. I'll send you the link and I'm going to put it in this side chat. It's okay. called the 500K Challenge. It's mm -hmm. by Bill Allen. I don't know if you ever heard of him. It was really good. I started doing it and it, it raised some serious private money that I feel like could be pretty solid for you. So I think that you should definitely try it out and check it out. And I'll send you the link directly after this podcast because I think when you've got a deal, in my opinion, finding money can be a lot easier than people think. It's more just the way you phrase it oh, yeah, to yeah. somebody else is like everything. It's not that I'm asking you for money. I'm giving you an opportunity, opportunity. to make yeah. a ton of money. Yes. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's the, and that's been the thing. Like my, like my first, my, my current deal, I didn't put a dollar in. Right. Uh, so like capital is there. I think my biggest issue is I just don't like asking for other people's money. Right. Like I'm okay taking money from a lender. Uh, but it's very difficult for me to be comfortable with taking money from somebody else, like another investor or friends and family. Uh, even though I have to do it sometimes, I think it's just it's a struggle for me to not be able to get in and out of a deal myself. And so that's what do you think? Opinion. What do you think is that? Is it the fear of losing their money? No, because I'm, I'm in many situations, even if the deal goes south. I'm still going to, in some way, try to figure out how I can help you recoup your money. And, right. and, and, and I've had that happen before. And sometimes it's not immediate. Sometimes it takes some time. Like I, I still have a deal where I owe like one person like 700 bucks. And so like, <laughs> I'm gonna make sure that dude gets his 700 bucks. I love and so, it. And, and sometimes you look at like 700 bucks, just give him 700 bucks, but like, no, there's, there's a method to the madness. And so like- I like it. And so, so wait, if it's not the fear of um, losing their money, what it what? Because there's a fear there, right? Like, uh, like, and there's nothing wrong with it. I have fears too, and I can get into them. Like my biggest fear that I recently got over was spending money, because mm -hmm. like I really ran a whole business model that was based off referrals and stuff like that. So I really was running a very lean operation. Then I kind of realized that like if I'm gonna reach the goals that I have in my head right now in wholesaling and buying more properties to hold and maybe doing a flip or two more. I, I don't know if I really want to flip. I'm debating it right now. I like wholesaling way more. I mean, I like, I, I might start doing like a lot more flips than I'm doing right now, but um, we'll see. But anyways, what was I thinking? So what do you think is the what do you think is there? Because there's something there. There's some oh, fear. There's, 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 there's definitely something there. For me, it's, it's not like I'm never... Like, I try to do enough due diligence so that I, I can plan for the rainy days uh, or the storms that, that may come. So, like, for me, it's, it's the biggest issue is not being able to get people their money back on the right timing. And so okay. for me, it's, it's like if I say that I'm going to give it to you on X date, like if I miss that date, then that's the issue that I have. It's right. I, I didn't meet my obligation on the timing that I set. And so usually, and, and, and for me, like in most situations, I try to pad it 
well in it so that there's plenty of time to be able to to overpromise right. and uh, and to underpromise whatever the saying is, but deliver I got uh, wrong ahead of what I, I I told someone I would do. Like like my current flip, like this has been such a a journey. So I purchased a property uh, back in October, mm -hmm. and from a lovely seller, and she just moved out today. And so, and it's it's not a fault of her own, but like there were challenges in, in terms of her being able to move to her next uh, place of, of, of uh, residence. But it just, and if you think about it, the, the property was was pretty expensive. So $10,000 a month mortgage payments were coming and, and I couldn't do any work. It was, it's, it was stressful. And so like right. on this deal, I have, uh, I have investors that have loaned money and I promised a return. Prom I actually promised that we'd be done by the time the Super Bowl hit. I told right. my investors that like we were going to the Super Bowl when this property is done. <laughs> Super Bowl this weekend and I'm just going to start demo. So right. like that so doesn't feel good. Right. I get that. That's hard. I mean, I, I understand because things pop up that it's really hard to... Um, get the timeline right that makes more sense to me for sure yeah and, and especially if you like that's not in your control like right that, that's what this was and so like i i there was nothing i could do other than just wait uh you know i could threaten and and all that stuff but i wasn't going to do anything other than kind of wait my time now if i had to i would but like uh, that's that's not the person that i am i, I like to try right. to have some integrity um, but you know, at the end of the day, like when you've got other people's money on the, on the line and you've got goals for yourself as well, like it just, it just makes it very stressful. And so I'm, I'm I would also that. say too, I mean, you're still paying them interest, right? I, something that I say to people, because I, like, I got private money for this rental that I own in Georgia and that's like a five-year loan and people like a lot some people have at least asked me, it's like, man, that seems like a long time. Why? Um, why would somebody want to lend for that long? And to me, it's more like, why would they not? Why, if I'm a lender and I'm trying to make money lending, I want my money out there as long as possible working. If you like, uh, if you give me my money back, then I have to find another opportunity when the whole point is that I'm trying to make money off of my money. That's exactly right. It. So I feel, I don't know, just like some spitballs to those people and just be like, hey, I'm going to still pay you interest on your money. So you're going to actually make more money. They, than you're gonna they're, they're getting sweet deals for their contribution. So like for me, right. I always try to make sure that, and, and but it goes back to due diligence. So like if I know my deal can afford the, the types of returns that I'm giving, then I'm okay with it because I know at the end of the day, even if it goes bad, that I'll be able to take care of them with their return because that's that's most important. It's like you don't ever want to be the guy that that like took somebody's money and then all you can do is give it back to them. Like that that doesn't feel good to the investor, and nor does it right. help the credibility. And so, as long if if I get nothing out of it, at least my investors get some out of it. So right. like, that's, that's my mindset. Because I, love it. I may have to come back to them one day and say, hey, you know, I know the first deal went bad, but hey, would you give me you a second? Money so. Yeah, cool. So I usually do this for an hour. My last question usually is like, what's your favorite mindset entrepreneurial book that you'd recommend to people? 
Hmm. Um, you know, there are a, a ton because like one of the, I, I guess maybe what I should have said um, to my younger self earlier when, when you asked that question was seek out the types of books that help you kind of become comfortable with who you are in your own skin. And, and like, I do a lot of that um, in terms of just finding uh, books like, uh, let's see uh, here, because I, I do a lot of uh, Audible stuff and I've, I've got one that I really love. Um, and let's see here, I can hopefully I can pull it up quickly so that you can, uh, so I like 48 Laws, Laws of Power. I like, uh, let's see. Thank What's you. your favorite? I want the I want the one that like comes to your mind where you're like, man, that one really, I feel like there's one book for everybody that's like, that one really sparks something. Um, like I, like you can say a classic one. Like, I mean, everyone, a lot of people say rich dad, poor dad and all of that type of stuff, but. Yeah, that's, a, that's a good one for investment. But like, I think one that, that really, um, kind of turned on the light and turned on for me, like you can persevere through anything is can't hurt me by, um, uh, David Goggins. Oh, what was it? Wait, what's the name of the book? I love David Goggins. I haven't read any of his books. It's, it's can't hurt me. And like, he talked about me. how, um, like he's he, crazy. He, like, he like went through Navy SEAL training. Was it three times? Yeah. And like, I'm telling you some of the stuff he went through and had to fail, like, I'm, I'm, I'm not built that way, but right. I can definitely take some inspiration from his, his right. story and, in his life but i think for me like like because there are times when my wife looks at the things that i go through and and kind of the struggles that i have and and because you i mean nothing in real estate is perfect so they're going to be problems um even on the best deals but um like she looks at some of the stuff and she's i don't i don't understand how you keep keep moving forward and i'm just like because i have to because i know i can't right none of this what the hell else am i gonna do right and there's that (laughs) What else? <laughs> sit at home and play PlayStation? Yeah. Right, exactly. I love it. Cool. Well, first off, is there any where can where can the people reach you? How do they find you? Do you have an Instagram? Do you I know you have a YouTube channel? Yeah. So yeah. what how how do you want people to follow you, reach you, and all that? Uh so I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and uh, YouTube for Twitter and Instagram, just look for NVH0701. It's my initials. And, my wait, hold on, hold on. Let's because some people will be listening to this. It's N, like N is in Nancy. D is in Vincent and H is in Hayes. 0701. Okay. And then uh, and that's for Instagram and Twitter. And then for YouTube, if you just Google or or search on YouTube for Vincent Hayes, I think I think the, the actual link is youtube.com forward slash vincent hayes or c slash vincent hayes something like that but if you you just google me and look for my mug then you'll find me cool all right do you have anything you want to leave the people with any last mindset tips anything that you feel like could help the people listening in uh always 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 don't don't get bogged down by no and, mm-hmm. and fail fast. 
Nice. If, you, if you have to fail, fail as fast as you can so that you can keep moving. I love it. I love it. I'm following you right now. That's why I'm like distracted. So NVH, I want to make sure for the people that I can actually find it. Yep. I see you. All right, my man, thank you so much for coming on. I'm ended here guys. Scorch the fears. We've done 10 episodes, which to me is crazy. Started this like two and a half months ago. Loving it. Thank you so much, Vincent. I'm going to see you all next week. 5 PM PST. Peace.